We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hey, yo, what up? It's Force of Philip on the track, yo. People want cards to get banned all the time, bro, but people can play whatever they want, bro. Play whatever you want. Jack Faden's looting faithlessly like he's an atheist. Call him the greatest thief in the multi-mist of the blind eternities. He's got them red hands from handling the masterpieces off your mantles and dancing down your chimneys like he's Saint Nick and he's eating milk and cookies cause my man loves dessert. He fights off nickel bolts on Ravnica to take what he's earned. But an untimely death is ultimately why he was served. Cling to the dust assassin's trophy confirmed. We lost a good one today. Jack Faden was my boy. You cooked the bomb-ass omelet. I love that conditioner he used. But don't forget. You can play whatever you want. Cause this is Strifle Pile. Playing 25 colors, this game gon' take a while. You can play whatever you want. Cause this is Strifle Pile. Playing 48 colors, this game gon' take a while. You can play whatever you want. Cause this is Strifle Pile. Playing 69 colors, this game gon' take a while. You can play whatever you want. Cause this is Strifle Pile. Play whatever you want. You can play with baleful tricks in the strife of bag of tricks, but don't you think you'd be remiss if you missed the fourth ponder in this 27 color deck playing Drown in the Lock? This is Magic the Gathering designed by Jackson Pollock. It's like a Ristic Studies, Vince lead itself up for a game. A colorful array, the mana base remains unexplained. Icebank, Notion, Thief, Golos, the Tireless, Pilgrim, Toxic, Deluge, Punished, Fire, Cephalid, Coliseum, Yorion, Opposition, Agent, Rise and Fall, Fatal, Push, Pyroblast, Lightning, Bolt, Uro, Waterlock, Grub, Endurance, Minsk and Blue Fury, Besage, You Endure, Space and Borrower, Badlands, Bayou, Kara, Pudda, Flowers, Pernicious, Deep, Taiga, Otawara, Sovereign, The Mirthless, Plague, Engineer, Terra, Sunder, Yo, I think this is working, Play a Wasteland, Loam it back, Loot it away with your deck, Put a whole breach on the stack, Attack or Meltdown Artifacts, Play whatever you want. Cause this is Strifle Pile. Playing 25 colors, this game gon' take a while. You can play whatever you want. Cause this is Strifle Pile. Playing 48 colors, this game gon' take a while. You can play whatever you want. Cause this is Strifle Pile. Playing 69 colors, this game gon' take a while. You can play whatever you want. Cause this is Strifle Pile. Play whatever you want. What it do? Hello and welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Phil Blackman. Phil, how's it going? Bro, I'm just going to take it and flea flicker it right over. Strifo, what's up, dude? Not much. It's uh, vaguely early in the morning and allergies are beating me up, but I'm excited to talk about some magic. It's beautiful here on the East Coast. We have like a 75 degree day. It feels like fall almost. Dude, it was dark and gloomy and sad, and then I heard we were going to get to talk to Strifo. Yeah. <laughs> I had my first pumpkin spice latte this week, so I'm 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 ready for the I'm ready for the fall. I want to talk about pile specifically in the context of a lot of the a lot of the uh, shorts we've been putting out this week have been about sort of the differences between uh, like a, a deck like pile and a deck like miracles, like control versus pile, and, and sort of you know putting putting that into context. And I think uh, 
I think it just it just behooves us to go right to the source. Sure. I'm not convinced that I'm the best person to talk about pile in, in general. I feel like what I play is a little bit different from like check pile, right? Yeah. Like check pile is was whatever you want to call it. It was just like all good cards, no synergies, just flat two for ones on like him to Tarak or like I think even Night's Whisper they were playing at some point, you know? It's making a resurgence. Uh, Night's Whisper's I dig Night's Whisper. I mm-hmm. like it. But like what I'm doing is a lot more synergy and engine based and you know it takes time to like do the thing. For whatever reason, people call it the deck strifle pile and it kinda of stuck, even though I, I am of the belief it's a little bit of a misnomer. What so for people that don't know, Strifle Strifle, how would you explain if you were to explain your deck to somebody who's just coming into the format for the first time has never has never heard of us and our yeah, gimmicks yeah. and yeah. Yeah, so it's a, a super slow deck. The curve basically starts at two. You're trying to set up deck fade in Uro, Minskibu, just like, you know, very efficient engines kind of rather than using efficient, like, I'm going to kill you right now cards, like Dragon's Race Channeler, Death Shadow, Merc-type region, et cetera, et cetera. For a long time, I feel like the... If anybody were to say, oh, do you play Strife Pile? It is presumed that the backbone engine of the build has been Dak Faden, of course. That's like the... the yeah. That's the card that I think most people, at least in the community, at least, associate you with, for sure. I but then so the, the, It's played along the Punishing Fire mechanic with Grove of the Burn Willows as a way to recoup cards and, and things like that. Is Punishing Fire still where you think the format is or has, has, a, has Legacy moved on from that? Uh, right now, I think Punishing Fire is super good. It's It was... Before, before Lord of the Rings, Punishing Fire was pretty medium. It didn't do a lot, but I mean... Also, we were in like an initiative meta mm. and a very different format. But with everyone trying to play two mana one ones, Punishing Fire is pretty good. On two mana one ones, you had a very very good tournament finish recently, where uh, you were you were pairing some some two mana one ones with your Dak Fade, and it's pretty well. You want you want to tell us a little bit of the, the biggest blowouts that you had <laughs> casting Orcus Bowmasters? <laughs> casting Orcus Bowmasters yeah. with I got to play in a couple of paper events recently. And uh, in in one of them, which I think was a camera match, I ended up with two Orcish Bowmasters in play and two DAC activations. Uh, so what's that? That's eight eight triggers. Wipe the board of uh, of a Cradle Control player. Uh, and more recently, not on camera, I got to do something similar and kill three Mother of Runes and a Thalia. When that happens, the game usually ends. Uh, it seems and, like a reasonable take for yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It seems like the reasonable outcome. Yeah. You'll hear me saying, see me writing all the time. I don't think Bowmasters is a problem. But, like, if it turns out that people, everyone else is just doing it wrong, and the right thing to do is to be playing it alongside Dak Faden, I'll eat my words and I'll say it. Yeah. Dak Faden target you for the kill is very uh, Grixis Thievesian of old. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, lo- I love Notion Thief. I love getting to draw my extra cards, but like having it affect the board is, and the clock significantly is really good. Because it ends up being like four damage between the trigger for damage and the plus one plus one counters. Yeah, it seems like that's a fair trade off for the selection you're offering your opponent there. Is like I have a four four, or I have like a you know a three three or whatever, and then like on top of that, you're taking two damage. Yeah. Also, the selection is is around your your diversified threats. You have a small creature with a relevant piece of text on it that they have to care about. 
a large body now that they have to care about and yep. Dak, which is still the, the engine oh, yeah. of what's going on on the table. Oh yeah. Post LOTR world. What would you say is like the, the backbone of like the non-negotiables in your view of Strifle Pile? You're sleeving it up. You're going to a tournament. These uh, cards are non-negotiable. I'm playing four decks and four Uros right now. I think mm-hmm. Uro, you know, it's not a cantrip. Bowmasters is really good against cantrips. Bowmasters is not very good against Uro. Uro will run over Bowmasters 99 times out of 100, right? Most decks have trouble dealing with it. With DAC, you get to find them easily, cast them easily, continue to escape them easily. So I think four of each of those basically necessary. Four Assassin's Trophies, uh, for reasons I'll talk about. Yeah. Not playing without four Force of Wills. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about, about y'all. Who, who's amongst us would ever put down Force of Will? <laughs> <laughs> Who? What kind of idiot yeah. would say that Force of Will's bad? We do have a we do have a video uh, coming up about uh, about <laughs> specifically Force Force Will. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's wild how Force of Will can swing from being you know so insanely good to like so insanely. But uh, I, I I don't think the punishing fires are necessary right now. I like them, but you could play without them if you want. You can play whatever ask, you want. Yeah, as you're thinking of the slots in your deck and what role they play in. Yeah like what you need if Punishing Fire and Bowmasters are sort of fighting for similar space? Not really. So Bowmasters, the way I sort of see it is it has, it's really there to be good against like Grizzlebrand, Echovions and stuff. So like really degenerate stuff. Yeah. Because all the other decks are kind of like, you know, they're they're not as as big of a problem. Well, yeah, I mean, your deck kind of chews up Delver decks to begin with, so yeah, so, punishing brainstorm isn't really your highest priority. Yeah, I, I like most of the time when I bowmasters against those decks, it's like, oh, now I have two blockers for a Death Shadow, or like, mm. oh, I sniped their bowmaster that was sitting on the table or something like that. But I, like, I don't value it highly, which is, but I, I can tell that people on the other side of the board do because it gets forcible, and then I get to mm. untap and play Dak, and it feels really good. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Is, is, do you think that people are respecting Bowmasters in that regard too much? Or do you think it's just like, yeah, the threat density is high enough that they have to just sort of respect everything? I think that they're respecting it out of me too much. Maybe not out of other people, mm. but like, it's sort of an afterthought in those, like, in basically any forcible matchup. It's kind of an afterthought for me. Like, mm. I want to set up an engine. I, I don't trust that a Bowmaster is going to get their own damage very frequently. And so in, in your in, in your head, there's the, your engines are... Dak, Uro, a combination of those two, and then are, is there any other axis that you're like? Uh, I, I... Boo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, it's damaged, but it also like frequently is just suspend, yeah. draw four cards. So. One card engine, yeah. And uh, Life in the Loam actually is pretty nice with both Brainstorm and I'm playing a Singleton Cephalid Coliseum, which mm-hmm. also is very sick with Bowmasters, turns out. Oh yeah, target your opponent. <laughs> get him. Fucking yeah. get him. Uh, and they can't counter it. And but yo, the more and more I'm listening, the more I'm like, man, Strapple Piles. This is a burn deck. Making my opponents like, draw cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is this is the most giving deck there is. It's just you get to draw all the cards. Group hug. Yeah, you're playing. This is a group hug on Legacy. So uh, with with that, um, you know, you you have a you have a specific style of deck that 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 you that you build. But what would you say, like the philosophy behind that deck that deck build style is? Yeah. So when I'm building what I would call a control deck, you know, I am just trying to spend my mana better than 
my opponent in some way. Oh, I love that. Right? Yeah. Like my the 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 Strifle Pile deck in particular is all about spending more mana in, in an efficient. I'm not playing like crazy old Nick Fit stuff, right? I'm playing you know three four mana things, but like I'm paying two mana for a shock because I can rebuy it if I have a lot of mana. Or like I'm playing Life from the Womb, and like I want to be hitting a ton of land drops and just playing more spells than my opponent does. A lot of the time it works out when, you know, if I get to the point where I've got five, six lands in play, I might end the game with 10, but I'm going to end the game most of the time from there. When you play your deck, what are the, obviously you have some amount of respect you have to have for the degenerate decks. Every deck does because they end the game super fast. What are the decks currently in the format that are popular that you're you feel like you don't need to respect uh i don't feel like i need to respect grixis tempo i don't feel like i need to respect death shadow i don't feel like i need to respect lands painter painter's probably the first one where i feel like i need to respect what they're doing because they they've got you know tons of blasts like a fast kill and they've got blood moons sometimes i think i think that's an interesting point um that that you don't feel that you need to respect grixis tempo or, or shadow could you could you tell us why uh those those two decks in particular that you don't feel that you don't feel you need to worry about them i don't feel like i need to worry about them anymore so i'm playing three carpet of flowers and you know just a ton of removal and both of those decks feel to me as though they've slowed down significantly since the addition of Bowmasters. maybe not in like appearance but like the way that they have to play because they want to be playing this sort of like bowmasters it's a weak threat if it doesn't hit a cantrip right yeah i'm not playing very many cantrips so like and and, and they also know that i'm playing bowmasters and a bunch of removals so they don't want to like necessarily even deploy it on two maybe they want to wait a little longer and that waiting game really 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 favors me mm-hmm. yeah like i i don't have hard data just sort of feeling from the last or basically since Lord of the Rings came out, but like I have been absolutely just running over the the Bowmaster decks, like all of them. So I, I'm just not worried. I don't know if it's a play pattern thing or like or, or or what exactly it is, but they just feel a lot weaker to me than like, for example, expressive iteration. That deck was just way stronger. I'd go out on a limb and say it is it is a play pattern thing for you because I feel like someone like me who doesn't have a lot of reps with a deck like that is going to do the thing that you're not supposed to do, which is like slam boo, draw four cards, just get immediately punished by a bowmaster, or like I'll deck myself and get punished by a bowmaster. Like you know better than to do that sort of stuff. I think that uh, the average player picking up this deck is going to run into those mistakes at, at least in the beginning of, of learning to play the deck. I, I think you're right. I. I notice whenever I see pe- other people playing the deck, it, uh, the, the decision trees that people go down are very different that I tend to go down. But also, you know, I've played the deck 5,000 times or whatever. Yeah. Is there like a an opening basics heuristic that you would be like, I see a lot of, that you notice like a lot of people when they pick up a uh, stripe of pile that they're like, oh, I see this m- mistake routinely when they're playing. Is that like, like the way that they fetch? Or like, is there a mana sequencing that you're like, yeah, you know, like when I think of miracles for the most part, Depending on like my flex slots in my head, I'm like I'm fetching blue white blue white blue blue or blue white white blue. Like that's usually like the the sequencing based on like if I'm playing unexpectedly absent or whatever. So like in my head, I'm like if I have to fetch a planes on one, that's going to be really uncomfortable for me. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I recently cut all of the basics from my deck, which uh, has some pros and cons. I like the mana better, but you know blood mood and all that. I, I I do think that you're you're touching on the right thing is like getting your mana under you is like the most important thing you can 
you do with the stack, and you need to be cognizant of like a lot of different things. Like, am I going to want to cast two black spells, like a drown in the lock and a trophy on four, or something like that? Or like how many punishing fires am I gonna to want to be able to cast as we go into the mid-game? Like, do I want two red sources or like how many green sources do I need to cast a row? And like I don't think there's an easy heuristic because every single game just plays out a little bit differently. And you need to know like which of those things are important. And so like you kind of have to do it on the fly. If that can be brought into just being like, you know, understanding your mana sequencing in the first four turns is vital for yeah you know absolutely. like how you actually pilot the deck right because yeah. are you is is your current builds have you how many groves are you still playing i'm playing three groves yeah and so Which, those un, unfetchable sources like do you does, does it ever change your navigation when you like open a grove and then are thinking okay essentially the question that i'm getting to is how do you determine your most important fetches and it does that also maneuver on the fly yes so verdant catacombs is almost always the worst fetch uh i'm only playing one but that's the worst one and then i think delta is usually the strongest one it can't get taiga but it gets everything else and then misty misses badlands but gets everything else and so those are like pretty close uh and if you have a grove you usually will prefer polluted delta is your strongest one because uh you have the unfetchable taiga already so you might not probably don't need to fetch the taiga so hmm. just things like this yeah i was gonna ask how you how you balance on the combination of blue black for drawn in the lock and then green black for assassin's trophy and then n navigating okay it's like yeah I, I have a i have a grove so i'm an additional turn cycle away from drown in the lock right. but i need to get a black source but i my my black source can't also necessarily be my blue source because i need blue and black for drawn in the lock you, 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 I mean, I know that you've thought about these patterns a, a thousand times, but like, yeah, yeah. As, as navigating for somebody learning, like, how, how do you, how do you go about like, okay, I open on Grove, I, therefore so I, my, I probably know. just don't, if I don't know what I'm playing against, I don't like to open on Grove very often. Yeah. Uh, now, you know, some decks, it's, it's great. Death Shadow, tapping it every turn to gain them life is really Zach, how does that make you fun. feel? I hate how, that. how do you feel, I Zach? How does that, Zach? How do you feel about that? Do you feel, feel good like... about that, Zach? Zach, does that make you feel good? Do you feel good, Zach? No, no. <laughs> um, Sorry, you guys are. But but yeah, that's a, that's a very real thing. Like if you're if you're on the draw, it's a little easier to make those decisions because you now have some information. Like what is your opponent doing? But like most of the time, you want to bleed on an uncracked fetch so that you have a whole bunch of options open to you going into turn two. It's funny, it, this is a heuristic that I never have to really, I haven't had to think about since I played, like, Gifts Ungiven that was, like, you know, all for everything but red in, like, modern. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I'm trying to think about what what land do I want to fetch here or there, because I generally only play, you know, two and three color decks. Sometimes I'm playing eight cast and I'm not even worried about colors so much. Um, it, it's interesting to think about playing a deck, especially if you play, you know, the popular decks uh, in a way where you're like, I not only have to worry about what cards I'm adding to my deck, but like whether or not I can cast this turn three into this turn two into, you know, Phil was saying, uh, drown the lock into uh, uh, what's called a uh, uh, trophy. trophy. And then like the, those, those three colors. And then you're like, okay, and now I need a miskinboo. You know, like, so that that all plays out in, in in ways that if you aren't super uh, knowledgeable about what the play patterns of your opponent are, yeah. your mana base, and what you want to be doing two, three turns ahead of time uh, can, can really punish you. Yeah, and that's actually something that people should be thinking about in deck building. Like, people talk about a mana base as being good or bad, and they just look at the lands. 
but really the mana base doesn't make sense outside the context of what are your spells. Exactly. So like if you put easier to cast spells in your deck, your mana base is better because it's that that relationship between the two that's that's really important. Yeah, and like color density and and, and yep. things like that. Like yep. I mean, how how long did have you just noticed over time you're like I am losing too much to myself by having basics in my deck. And so I'm just going to move away from basics and fight over the, you know, mix around my numbers to fight over things like blood moon or whatever, in order to like make it so that the rest of the time I'm more streamlined and not. So I don't have a a fail rate in my mana base. Yeah. That's basically what it was is I was so tired of like drawing basic Island. The forest was actually okay, but like I wanted another red source. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like drawing basic island just felt so bad, so cut it. <laughs> you, 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 and I then have a similar experience. When the, the the more and more Mystic Sanctuaries that I've added to my deck, I was like, well, I, I in my head, I'm like, Mystic Sanctuary is a blue, blue, blue card. It's it's I need three islands in my deck because yeah. I'm, I'm I you know the the very basic foundation of like how many pips is like your most your most pipped card. Make sure that you have the basics to cast that card so you if you ever are blood moon or whatever you can still function. And so in my head it was always a blue 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 card. The more and more that I would have like a bunch of islands plus a bunch of mystic sanctuaries in my deck, and my opponent gets to wasteland one tundra, I'm like, all right, well I guess I just don't play the game now. And I was like, this is this is, how yeah. is a wasteland destroying my clean mana base? This is terrible. So I like I was the same way and I moved off a bit, moved further away from basics and just played a heavier tundra build. Yeah, and a bunch of people always ask me like, how do you beat wasteland? I'm like, wasteland is not the problem. You just you need to fetch. Yeah, and you have Correctly. life in the loam and stuff. Yeah, like, you're yeah, not yeah, worried yeah. about wasteland. I'm playing 22 lands, which yeah. I think is more than most control decks in the format. And, and like, I mean, Blood Moon, that's a problem. <laughs> that, that card's a yeah. problem, but yeah. not not so much wasteland. But also, so, like, the, the, I always think of the, the, the big, like, Haymaker prison pieces. I think, like, Blood Moon is a problem the same way that, like, yeah, if you're playing, if you were playing Delver, like, yeah, Trinisphere on the board is a problem. Like, you know, you're not always going to be able to beat everything, and it's okay yeah. to choose, like, what your softest spots are. And, if, and then if the mega game ends up being, like, 80% Blood Moon, it's like, okay, maybe you throw some basics back in your deck. You're like, you know, you have, you have the flexibility. Going back to your thing on Painter, because, you know, Painter has, like, very dense creature threats. And when I say dense, I mean meaningful non-creature threats. And then also very uh meaningful lands that 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 are important in urza saga and such one thing that i've always wished i had in access to in any type of miracles builds that i play when you play a lot of assassin's trophy is assassin's trophy just being able to hit whatever you want i've watched your stream a lot and i see you use assassin's trophy to hit lands a lot and that 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 is like an access that like i've just never been able to move into without just totally warping away from the backbone of blue white can you talk a little bit about where you got to yeah for assassin's trophy is just where i want to be the spots where it's been like most most helpful versus like any other tool that you could choose and how the offset of them getting a land back in exchange just is not it's like not too steep of a cost yeah back in death right days we had uh abrupt decay and that's sort mm-hmm. of like the most comparable card and abrupt decay certainly has spots where it's better than assassin's trophy but it never killed gourmet angler and uh that's what i was really excited about was i have this spell that can kill planeswalker it could kill gourmet angler or now you know Murktide. But Remember when Gurmag Angler was a problem? I, I do. <laughs> I, I I had serious problems beating that. <laughs> yeah, as a rug delver player, like a five five was just too much for me. After this, we're gonna get into why the antithesis to white cards has has been. When you guys you guys are like Gurmag, I'm like, oh please, somebody cast Gurmag Angler again, please, <laughs> please, please just cast the vanilla five five, please. Yeah, these days that's where I'm at. A long time ago, it was a lot. 
for for a lowly uh, Grixis Mage splashing green. Then, like, as the more that I played with Assassin's Trophy, the more I realized that there's just so many targets that, you know, become premium. Like, a lot of these decks that are, you know, heavy on Uro have promised beating Caracas. My threats right now in the main are three Bowmasters, four Uros, and two two Minskaboos, and two Fables. But, like, the beef of that is Uro and Minskaboo, right? And these just, they don't like to see opposing Caracas. Assassin's Trophy just kills it, right? Or, like, because I don't have access to white, I'm soft to something like Dark Depths, and you can trophy the uh, the depths when they go for the combo, or something like this. You ju- it just ends up solving basically everything that I want to solve by itself. It randomly hoses Doomsday. Like, I've had people go off with Doomsday, and you just trophy their lands, and they can't cast their spell, and they lose. Oh, that's like, sweet. Oh, yeah. It doesn't always work. But if they go for the fast doomsday that passes a turn, sometimes you could just get them off their lands. And, they, they, and they're do, certainly they, not going to go get a basic after they've cast doomsday. Exactly. So. Yeah. The more that you talk about the lines that you take, you and I are living just parallel lives. I just happen to have white cards and you happen to have green and black cards. The, the same way you're like, yeah, sometimes it gets a doomsday player. I'm like, yeah, sometimes I just predict the doomsday player, name whatever, and then they lose because their stack is now no longer like, yep. like enough cards. You know? Are you currently playing Wasteland in any number as well i'm not uh the mana i i i don't want to mess with the mana right now it feels really solid uh, i i was saying because like a f- four color decks all play like one to two wasteland because they have to deal with the caracas because their threats are uro and minsk yeah you moving into assassin's trophy solving that problem for itself so you can like clean the mana up a little bit better i mean and that's the the trade-off between four color playing white and stripe pile having access to black the loan then is your loan package just for like going up cards with dac and then, like, maybe your Cephalid Coliseum engine in the very late game? Is there another specific reason that you were like, yeah, I'm going to include Bloom in my main 60? Uh, so hitting land drops is super important. That's yeah. probably the biggest thing. The Cephalid Coliseum synergy is really nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, I'm playing Odawara, and mm-hmm. it turns out that, like, those Amurktide decks sometimes have trouble with, I just have 10 lands in play, boink, boink. I'm going to yeah. loan Odawara back, and we're going to basically be playing Drago until... You yeah, you're playing Capsize now. About it. Yeah, I was going to say 2023 <laughs> Capsize. <laughs> yeah, I think Odawara is a really nice pickup, too, for recent cards. Sage this- is good, but I didn't like it as much. This may be time traveling back about 10 minutes, but, uh, you know, you mentioned you're not on basics anymore, which means you're obviously not playing Ice Fang Quaddle or anything like that. Uh, when when do you think the switch from, from Ice Fang Quaddle in that deck kind of moved on? So I reluctantly played Ice Fang Quaddle in the Yorion versions. Uh, it took it took some people a while to convince me that I should be playing Yorion, but Astrolabe was really good, so... And it, it's sort of like, you couldn't build that deck with Astrolabe without going up to 80 cards, in my opinion. And yeah. so it was sort of like, well, we get to play Astrolabe. We may as well, you know, be playing Ice Fang Kotal as well, because it's also good with uh, with, with Yorion. Yorion, but, yeah. But once Astrolabe got banned, I felt like there was just, there was no reason to, to try to play that many basics. And, yeah, I remember looking at, like, I think Anurag uh, was was doing a cast with you where he was playing the, like, I I, I want to say it was still Yurion in, in the deck, yeah. but obviously, yeah. you know, Astrolabe had been banned for some time at that point. Yeah. We're going to get into, uh, we're going to get into some heat. All right. <laughs> All right. Tell me why Ponder's bad. <laughs> I I don't think I've ever said Ponder's bad. No, no, I know that you know it's bad. It just appears that way in my deck building, right? 
the premier person in my head that moved away from four ponder and then still consistently found success that I was like, okay, well, there's no way he's wrong because his results are good. But at the same time, anything less than four ponder just always jumps out to me. as like is Stockholm syndrome. Is that what I'm thinking <laughs> of? Like, like, it's like, it's like, I can't, I can't not, you're, I can't you're not have it. by your ponders. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. It's like free me from my shackles, dude. How did you get to less ponders? Ponders are kind of boring. And yeah. I wanted to play fun cards. But, no, but... dude, please, no. Don't don't tell me that you cut Ponder because you were like, I want I want to do cool shit. No. No, no, you, no, gotta no. Tell, you gotta tell me, you gotta tell me, Phil, I did I did ten thousand years of data and I found that the fourth ponder just wasn't So so first of all, no one can simulate this game. This game is too complicated. But uh I was never convinced by the argument of four ponder, four brainstorm is correct because mm-hmm. I played with the card preordain. And Preordain mm-hmm. is, like, really close to Ponder. It's, like, amen, a little worse most of the time. A little bit better sometimes. But it's, like, pretty close, right? And my question is, well, why for Brainstorm, for, why not for Brainstorm, for Ponder, one Preordain? Why not for Brainstorm, for Ponder, two Preordain? You need some amount of, of doing things in your deck. And one of the Ponders I replaced with a claim, which is, like, you know, it's not as good a cantrip, but it's a late-game engine sometimes and also random grave hate and i i like having access to something like we took it all we brought them to our land an endless night ember hot and icy cold the rage of the earth we made this curse carved it in the blood on our backs we did not see we could not but she did and in the end what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Yeah, being able to interact, I'm just going to play any of like the artifact cantrip style effects that just like hit the graveyard. Just yeah. to, like have somewhere in your deck to have access to that because if a game is going long and there's some kind of recursive engine, like I totally feel you on that. I was asking, thinking about before when thinking about how important your fetches in your sequencing are for to make sure that you hit your colors. Yeah. Uh, also being like in a, a very um, densely pipped four color deck that if move away from ponder also had to, like the pressure on your fetches because if you ponder and find, yeah, I don't want, I want one of these cards and not the other two, but now I have to fetch, but I don't necessarily know what fetch, what colors to get with my fetch if that had like formed your move away from ponder a little bit as well. So part of it actually is that I think Part of the problem with Wasteland is if they waste you off of too many duels, those colors become more difficult to fetch. And if you're only playing like 20 lands and then the the four ponders, then that exacerbates that problem. And ponder is, in my opinion, usually there to like fix your mana a little bit. And I mm-hmm. my reasoning was like, let's just fix the mana by, you know, playing more lands and and, and doing it that way. That way we're a little less soft wasteland. And also, like, you have to mulligan a little bit less. Cantrips are also worse when the curve of the deck basically starts at two, right? Like, because mm-hmm. in Delver, right, they can cantrip and then they can play a spell. Or, like, uh, in Blue-White, you can cantrip and then you can plow, like, really easily. But, like, if I cantrip, the only spells that I'm casting, if I'm on two mana, is another cantrip or my one lightning bolt. Like, oh, yeah, that's actually really interesting. The idea that your cantrips actually virtually cost more if you don't then convert ma- the rest of the mana in that turn. Exactly. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Similar when anytime somebody, I would watch somebody play Miracles and I would see them want to like brainstorm and step to like stack a Terminus so that they can then Terminus. But I'm like, if your entire, like if you spend your turn three and you cast Brainstorm, don't use your two mana and then Terminus and then play something and pass, that Terminus like effectively cost you three plus mana, not one mana. Because yeah. you, you're, the opportunity cost in order to do it was heavier than it actually being leveraged for the whole point that it's in the deck for. So like that, that actually, that's really important. That makes a lot of sense to me. That's I never thought about that for for pile. That's that's cool. Yeah, and I think. Uh, I haven't played much of the like good stuff piles, but I imagine it's sort of similar because they play a lot of twos and threes and stuff. They play they usually play a little still, but uh, not as much as like Delver or Blue White usually. And is there um, for the the flex slots? Is there a reason that um, like is Drown in the Lock just like a good enough flex spell that like it's better than like is <coughs> is, is Drown is, is Drown in the Lock like something that you're thinking like that versus any other subsect of cards, or is it just because it's it's relevant for your blue count and it is also a nice flexible spell for both I can't think that, on the stack and then I think that card is so good. So this is another difference between like blue white and what I'm doing is like you know blue white you have uh what like four plows I don't know how many prismatic endings you'd be playing these days but some of them it are, varies yeah you know two to four of those and I also and like, hate prismatic ending for the record. Like I, I hate it. I, I so. also hate it. I think Chalice of Void is really awesome and I think that it should be harder to kill. <laughs> I mean, we should all just be playing Chalice. Like, just start removing our one drops for sure, yeah. I, I, I just, I hate Prismatic Ending. A, because it's a sorcery, and that, like, goes against who I am, you know, spiritually. Also, every time you trade with anything that's more than two mana, if you hit a three mana permanent with your Prismatic Ending, that three mana thing that they did already converted them so much value that then you yeah. spend your turn Prismatic Ending, and you're like, all right, well, I dealt with a thing, and I'm 0% to win this game. But, like, th- these cards are very... They're very, very efficient, but Mm. they're also very, very specific. But what I really like about the four trophy and the two drowns is that they are, they're a little bit less efficient, sure, but they're so general. Like I almost never have to cut either of those cards in sideboarding because they both are good in almost every matchup. That opens up deck building slots, both in the main and the side for like more engines, more high impact spells so so i i think that's really what i like about playing the drowns and the trophies mm. is they're just they're so flexible that they let the rest of your deck like be much stronger i want i want to highlight that as like that that strikes me as something that is not apparent at first glance the opportunity of your card choices and how that relates to the rest of slots that you have available in your 75 if you can condense it all down into yeah assassin's trophy deals with all of these things and therefore that opens up space like i'm playing if i play prismatic ending but then I also still have to play a wear tear in my board because I need to fight over the things that prismatic ending can't touch. That's a, a limitation on prismatic ending and assassin trophy would just deal with all of that. That aspect, the opportunity cost of a card choice is something that we should be thinking more acutely of as like people are building decks too. Yeah. It allows you to just uh, play more focused cards in your board. Like you have general things that deal with general, general I- issues that are like, Oh yeah, I can, you know, in response to a blood moon, I can assassins trophy it if I have the man open and whatnot, but you can then just dedicate, dedicate slots in your board to more problematic cards that, you know, just end the game for you no matter what. Right. Like recently I was able to just pretty easily move some cards around and play mind break traps because people are really big on I wish I could say Mind Desire, but it's it's actually that Mississippi River deck. When will that fad end? I'm not sure how good or bad that deck is because the Moto Grinders have not had that much time to grind it down. There's what let the galaxy burn is not is not uh, on Moto yet, so that like adds a that adds a layer to that deck as well. 
I don't even know what they are. It's a seven-mana cascade. It's a seven-mana cascade, but it's, it, I think it like it has an X. Am I wrong here, Phil? <laughs> and then the X is like it deals X damage to each other creature when it comes into play. I want to clip that because it's a seven-mana X spell <laughs> in the Mississippi River deck. Phil, you, you, are, you know this. Phil, you're, you, are, you, you are obviously the Mississippi River guy. You know all this stuff. Dude, I, uh, I've been casting Source of Plowshare since I was nine years old. Let's, what are you let's, talking about? Let's find out. Let the galaxy burn. What does this card actually do? That's a pretty cool card. Yeah, it, it has, I mean... It's it kind of like a goofy sweeper. Yes, it is a six mana X spell. It is X5 red, sorcery, cascade. And it says, when let the galaxy burn, uh, uh, let the galaxy burn deals X plus two damage to each creature that did not enter the battlefield this turn. Oh, because it doesn't want to kill the thing it cascades into. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay, okay. I see what they did there. Yeah, so you got a seven mana pyroclasm that cascades. That's yeah, weird. that's... So, and, and that's definitely an include for that deck. So you got you got mind break, break traps in the board as as we were thinking. I was also thinking of the correlation between Assassin's Trophy and Prismatic Ending and stuff that comes up a lot is I think about when I play against like Four Color and yeah. I'm on Miracles and I'm like, man, I really don't want these Prismatic Endings in my deck, but I do need to keep an out to fight over Carpet of Flowers. And right. so I have to keep Prismatic Ending in my deck. And then it's really the only realistic target. If it trades with a, a Halfling, fine, but it's really there to fight over and hit a Carpet. And then if they just don't play the carpet and I have the prismatic ending and then I'm just down a card anyway and it always feels bad. And I'm like, but then if you have something like Assassin's Trophy, then you're like always happy to see it. And that's like, that in my head is like the the most glaring spot where I'm like, man, I really wish I had something akin to Assassin's Trophy. And, you know, maybe I'll become a blue, white, black, green player. (laughs) I think it would be poetic if this whole time prismatic ending has been incentivizing people to move into their third color, their fourth color, their fifth color, so they can hit whatever they want. And then you're like, okay, well, once once I add the fourth color, I might as well just play the better spell, which seems like it would be Assassin's Trophy because you can actually hit a, a Planeswalker at positive mana trade. I think Assassin's Trophy, another, you, one of the other questions you asked was like, how, how often do I care about the mana that they get? And first, a lot of decks don't get mana off of it, right? Like the Mississippi River deck, for example, plays 42 lands, none of which are basics. Uh, and so frequently I get to use it as like a time walk against them in the early game to like, set up it's not always enough but like you know it's something it's better Um, than prismatic ending that would do nothing in that spot yeah yeah but like even when decks do get mana most decks in the format are not that good at spending it actually in comparison right like i feel like i get to spend mana a lot better than most decks if if i throw if i give a delver deck their fourth land what are they doing with it? I, I, I don't care. They're just brainstorming again, probably. Yeah. And if I give <laughs> if I give a control deck their like sixth land or something, most of them don't have as many engines. For sure, that as an eight cast player, if you kill something of mine that's on the board and I get one of my two islands with it, I'm not happy. Yeah. Like, I'll, <laughs> like I'll, 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 I'm not I'll like, oh, a, cool. a, a, I'll give you I'll give you a basic island. I'll take out your saga. I will be very happy. With yeah, I would hate that. I get yeah. It's also like I'm thinking too that the the difference between when you besage something and get to search for any land versus getting a basic land is is very different. And I'm like conditioned now that when somebody besages me, that I'm like, yeah, cool. I'm gonna get a Mystic Sanctuary and blow you out. Yeah, that's not the case with Assassin's Trophy. No, like it's you know it it can be a downside. I think the biggest issue actually is having to use Assassin's Trophy against death and taxes because they actually do spend their mana very well. And Um, is that a spell that you keep in against them just because it's a removal spell? You have to because it hits Caracas basically. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. But so you, you have to do it. But like if you like if you use Assassin's Trophy of Violet, like, yes, it's a good trade, but like it doesn't 
feel great. Is DNT a matchup that you find is like relatively favorable because of how much removal and the recursive removal that you play? It can be favorable. It depends on a few things. One, uh, how many Cataclysms are they playing? Mm -hmm. Most of the 80 card builds moved away from Cataclysm, but oh boy, when they get you with Cataclysm, they get you good. Yeah, that seems terrible. Uh, so I, I actually keep in all my forces in that matchup because mm -hmm. I'm never beating a resolved Cataclysm almost ever. Yeah, We were talking about Force of Will, uh, like where people were asking about how you determine whether or not you're supposed to board Force of Will out in a matchup. Place where I'm currently at, and tell me if you, if, if you have a different idea of like how and when to board out forces but in my head i'm like if i'm leaving forces in i think about like the card in the text box that it's targeting so like force of will it's like i'm holding this for cataclysm nothing else matters unless there's like a critical point in the game and you recognize that juncture is important yeah. but like yeah. if i'm leaving it in i'm going this is for this card or this these two cards or whatever and everything else results yeah i literally read read force of will in eight casts is like okay they're bringing in meltdown i have to keep this in target meltdown yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and it, it's sort of similar for me right like i've been cutting forces against like the Grixis Tempo decks because most of their cards are just not very good mm -hmm. right like I actually like I don't care that much about Bowmasters I have 12 removal spells uh I'm gonna have way more mana than them because I'm bringing in three carpets so they're like, obviously not playing Blood Moon against you yeah yeah in those kind of matchups where like I sort of think all their cards are like not super impactful they're just like you know a bunch of tempo cards like I can trim force oils at this point uh but, like, yeah, if they're playing cards that, like, I can't easily beat, then you, you have to keep them in. Decks have nickels, dimes, and $100 bills. And if I can't think of the $100 bill in their deck that I'm trying to hit Force of Will with, then I'm like, it's Force of Will's coming straight out of the deck. It's it's a little bit different for me, too, because my curve basically starts at two. Mm -hmm. Force of Will's a lot more valuable to me than if I had access to, like, plows. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, not yeah. To I, mention... have to, I have to use it to stay close on mana sometimes. Not to mention, it's less of an issue for you to lose a card against the, these decks because so much of your deck has that redundancy and, and comes back into your hand and whatnot. Yep. So, you you know, pitching a blue card against against a deck where you're like, this will blow me out otherwise, and then being like, oh, no, I have to rebuild and, like, it's a resource situation. For you, that doesn't that doesn't matter as much. I wanted to get your take on, on the One Ring because I, I think we, you know, we haven't talked about it and I don't think you're playing it. How do you feel about about the One Ring in pile? I'm not a believer. I've seen it. It looks pretty. It looks okay. It's probably good in the in the eighty card versions. But I think the biggest weakness of these decks is really closing the game. And so, like, I think if you're not starting with four minutes can boo before your first ring, like, it's probably not right. How many how many how many times has your opponent cast ring and you've been like, yeah, cool, I'll dack it. Less than ten. If you've played against uh, people playing the ring and then you just like send the message of like casting back and they're like, hold holy shit, he's going to steal my ring. And you're like, you keep your ring. I don't yeah, care. Yeah, yeah. Draw two. One ring yeah. slightly used. That's yeah. <laughs> that's also happened. That, that's happened a little bit, right? If they're if, they, if I've been pressuring them, they don't have a lot of life, then yeah, yeah. I'd rather have the cards and yeah. let them keep their, their silly thing. Because I've seen people that have played like one or two deck in the board to like be able to come in against ring decks to steal yeah. the ring. And then if you're playing something like, you know, Strifle Pile, I'm like, do you even take it? You just yeah. like let them have it because I was like between the the pressure between Minsk and Orgus Bowmasters, I'm like I think you just let them have it, but I also have no reps, so like yeah. I, don't know. I mean sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Yeah, Get, I, wait, if you're at thirty life for whatever reason, which has happened a few times, just take the ring and like yeah, have fun. Yeah, I'll draw you know ten cards. Let's 
see what happens. I think my biggest realization in in a postering world is just how much how completely okay it is to draw like more than one Minskin boo. You know, like I think I think that's the thing that is shed the most light on on the format to me is like it's completely fine to draw another Minskin boo, dome somebody for for four, draw seven afterwards. You know, like it just seems like you'd rather just have that than than like draw one card, than two cards, than three cards. Yeah, I, I, think, I, the, I think the the protection is really cool. That mm-hmm. that ability on it is really cool we'll see how relevant it is but i think i think that part of it I actually think it's really interesting. I'm going to talk about something that like I've been sort of thinking about more more about recently, although I haven't like fully formed the idea of like how to articulate it. But I, I've found particularly with that interaction of like, it's okay to go Minsk into Minsk is there's some semblance of value to be had for velocity. And velocity is the thing that I'm trying to like figure out currently, as opposed to like, if you have multiple Minsk, it's like, yeah, I'm not going to cast the second Minsk and get rid of my first Minsk because then I'm giving up value on that first Minsk of them spending resources on getting rid of it or dealing with it or whatever. But I'm like, but the value that you can gain by just like maintaining the velocity of like playing the second one and flinging it and drawing a bunch of cards and then just like continue doing. T- I don't know if this is something that you've considered or thought of as thing, but like it's something that I'm thinking of a lot more as the opportunity of lost value that like we think of like getting rid of your own things in that way in exchange for whatever the value then presents. As you can tell, I haven't fully formed the thoughts yet, but it's something that I'm thinking a little bit more of. Do you know what I'm, I'm like going yeah, with the idea? Yeah, that and, and I I think about that a lot actually in game. Uh, you know, I'll be playing like when you have a deck going right. You mm-hmm. need to be thinking: Do I want to just really tear through my deck and keep a bunch of cantrips, or do like what's my mana situation looking like? Uh, do I want to just be spending my mana to like keep up that that trade off of do I keep tearing through my deck? Do I keep trying to slam haymakers, whatever? Or do I do I just cast what I have and, and let the game progress a little bit mm. and, and slow it down? It's situational. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's something to think about all the time, right? Yeah, it's just like, I, I don't know what the what the terminology for it is but it's something that i've noticed has come up more and more and i'm like i'm excited to hear that like it's something that you are that like you've constantly thought about i it's not something that i can think of like what is what do we call where you're like yeah do i tear through my deck what is that the only thing that comes to mind for me is velocity but i don't have a definition as to like what that actually means and like how do you calibrate that and i've been trying to like think through what that actually is to talk about it but if anybody has if anybody has thoughts on that like let us know it's just something that i've been thinking about a lot more and i just don't fully know how to grasp the idea yet yeah like i I don't really have the a a word for for what what it is but when when you started describing it's like oh yes i I know what you're talking about things that you might be able to wait on for in exchange for So, so this is actually something that really sort of got highlighted after war i think mm-hmm. people started realizing oh there's all these powerful three and four drops probably you want to hold your brainstorms for a long time but like maybe if what i really want to do is just cast my three drop on three and my four drop on four i want to just start burning through those really quick and then let my three or four drop win the game and then mm-hmm. it doesn't matter that I don't have these brainstorms anymore because I'm waiting. Yeah, you know, I think like, that. Yeah, I think that determining when when to you know just completely not need brainstorm anymore as you're as you're playing through a match is is one of the mo- more important points points of like inflection for for the storyline of that game. Yeah, it's like it's essentially like c- calibrating the value of patience. Yeah, but like the, the opportunity cost of doing so is like okay. Yeah, if they 
it's like if I have the second Minsk and I'm ahead and I want to press the advantage, I can either play the second Minsk and dome them for another four and draw four cards, even though I don't know what those four cards are. Like the value of that is really dense as opposed to like, or next turn I can like try and get them for seven or make them interact in somehow. And like, I still have the narrative, but I'm like, but if you still have the engine piece on the table, then I'm like, isn't the value just always draw the cards? Cause like, I mean, not always, but you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like it's, yeah. I feel like I, I see the play pattern of people just sit on their their thing in play like way more than i i, I don't know I, I need to like think about it more but like the 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 topic that we we're talking about just made me be like oh yeah how do i you know what i'm talking about anyway. yeah it's, it's interesting stuff for sure i want to know for um what are the cards that are in your on moxfield now i think of like the cards in considering eternal dirtles is proud to be sponsored by moxfield moxfield is the best magic the gathering deck building website on the internet you can create share and find decks from commander to legacy and even fan supported formats like pre-modern and old school you can see all of our decks on our mox field follow the links below to stay tuned what are yeah. the considerations that aren't in your 75 that are just like on the on the cusp always at the at the ready if you need them toxic deluge mm-hmm. uh another pernicious steed theory oh my god did i enjoy playing with theory uh i played played that during the uh the initiative era and that mm-hmm. card is very fun to cast in both ways is it uh, out right now because you don't have the red the red requisite uh it's out right now because Finding space is difficult yeah. in general. And, and I don't think it's like super, like it's okay, but mm. people are moving away from a bunch of stuff with one toughness because of Bowmasters. Right. It's it's yeah. good, but it's like the place that, it re- that I really, really enjoyed it was just hard casting it against yeah. Blood Moon. And so I like I would bring in four Furies and then I'd be like, okay, I opened with three lands, a Fury, Force Blue card, and something else. Like, I'm not even going to fight over Blood Moon probably this game. Like, I'm going to just try to win with Furies or something. Yeah. Yeah. That feels really good when you're, when you're like, opponent, please do the one thing you want to do. Yeah. Like, that, yeah. that always feels really good. Yeah. And, and most of the time, uh, I think something that, you know, a lot of people who come to, to my deck from blue control uh, don't catch on in these first matchups is like, I don't care about Chalice. I play seven one drops. They're mostly cantrips. Dak can discard them. Like, uh, I'll live if they resolve a Chalice. And people fight over that card a lot, and I just, I don't care. Is the uh, the use of um, Fable as the additional, is, is Fable effectively with the discard is it just like your dax five and six like would you play dax five and six if you could probably not yeah. fables there because it makes treasures against board that's a, a very real play pattern so mm-hmm. and it's also i don't know if you play with fable it's really good too it's really good like, yeah it's just it's a very good card it's a very good card it's a very good card. The first chapter always just reads create a Ragavan token or Ragavan token. Because for the most part, when we had Ragavan in the format, you cast it, you make the treasure. Unless the like top card that you hit is a cantrip and you're looking for something important, you just don't cast it. It's just there for the treasure. And that's great. Unless it's like some haymaker and you're like, yeah, play your fucking Minskin Boo. But otherwise, in my head, I'm like, yeah, the first chapter on Fable is just Ragavan. Yeah, yeah it's a good, a good uh, comparison for sure. Well, uh, as we wrap up, we've got Wilds of Eldraine coming out. Is there anything from, from that set that looks interesting? Really like all those virtue enchantments the one that have like some little spell and also like a giant enchantment like that's that's the kind of card that i just really (laughs) like (laughs) i think i saw something the other day on reddit someone was asking like how does a enchantment go on an adventure that is a great question (laughs) but that every one of them looks amazing like the black one it's like seven mana to like basically get like oversold cemetery but the target comes into play yeah um which is just bonkers but like i think the seven mana is a lot (laughs) yeah but the three i think it's two mana to like negative three negative three something 
Yeah, and you gain two life. Yeah. I am a huge fan of incidental life gain. I used to play Pulsa Mirasa. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> rest in peace. Uro's too good. Yeah. I, you, you, I, dude, you, you and I have just been living in the in the same world on two different timelines. Like, <laughs> you, like you and I are the only people that have been like, yeah, Pulse of Mirasa. Oh, that was so great. <laughs> like, nobody, <laughs> nobody else in the world. Oh, only you and I can only, like, shake like, hands and like and be like, yeah, Pulse was great. We I think Pulse. only like, draft like, players from like 2015 are on the same page as you guys on this. Do you want? <laughs> I, I, I was playing Pulse of Mirasa when I was trying to make Jace Vryn's prodigy work like a long time ago. I was like, oh yeah, Jace is sweet. And then you pulse it back and like it's, it's like if they fight over it, it doesn't matter because you just pulse and then pulse the end to light the light game. And in, in my head, I should have known that you were just like brainstorm effect like thinking similar things. Back in like Death Rite era, I think I was on my hottest streak ever. I was like top eighting the challenge like every other weekend or more frequently than that on Sundays. And I played against this person who, like, I had a Sylvan Library in play and, like, a Strix in my yard, and I, I was, like, trying to, like, figure out how to pulse the Strix back to block a Gurmag Angler. And in my draw step, they burned Surgical on the Strix in case I would have drawn one so that, you know, I couldn't block them. And I got, to pulse, it, I got to pulse it back, gained the six life. Yes. So, like, that's already a time walk. And I got to play the Strix. And then they sent me a message in chat that, like, I hope you're proud of yourself. You'll probably never win another game again. And it's like... (laughs) Did you you save that screenshot? Please tell me you saved that screenshot. Uh, Do you have the screenshot? I did, but that computer breaks. So I I don't have it. I I was like, if we have that screenshot, it's going on screen (laughs) right now. (laughs) It's not like this was at the start of my hot run. This was, like, in the middle of the hot probably the hottest run i've ever had playing magic your spell became way more powerful because of how much salt it drew yeah oh yeah <laughs> like like, it was, like it was you, beautiful. Gained, you, you gained six life but really you gained a lifetime like Strafo, will you will you be at magic con vegas i know you're on that side of the world i don't think so no. i have other other things going on well, we're going to give away uh, we we received uh, a couple of uh, t- like free tickets to the, to that. So, we're going to be giving away uh one ticket to someone that comments uh on on this video. That will have to happen before August 25th uh to to get that. So, if you want to if you're watching and you want to get a free ticket to Magic Con Vegas and you know you're going, please just comment like Vegas baby or something like that <laughs> so that I I know that you you're interested in in getting a free ticket and uh we'll we'll have a quick drawing for that because I don't want those to go to waste and I know it's expensive to go to, to uh Magic Con Vegas at, uh to get tickets. So I'd like the ticket's gonna go to whoever has the best pulse of Marasa story. Share your best pulse of Marasa blowouts to win a trip to Vegas. <laughs> um, best of luck, chatters. I hope some of y'all have effectively countered an infernal tutor with pulse. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for thanks for having me on. Yeah, and total uh, pleasure. Best of luck to all those listeners who decide, oh, I want to try this crazy four-color pile deck. Uh, get your men under you. Well, uh, yeah, I guess that does it for us this week. Thanks for watching, everybody, and have a good one. Hey, yo, what up? It's Force of Philip on the track, yo. People want cards to get banned all the time, bro, but people can play whatever they want, bro. Play whatever you want. Thank mm-hmm. you.
Jack Faden is looting faithlessly like he's an atheist. Call him the greatest thief in the multi-mist of the blind eternities. He's got them red hands from handling the masterpieces off your mantles and dancing down your chimneys like he's Saint Nick and he's eating milk and cookies cause my man loves dessert. He fights off nickel bolts on Ravnica to take what he's earned. But an untimely death is ultimately why he was served. Cling to the dust assassin's trophy confirmed. We lost a good one today. Jack Faden was my boy. Dude took the bomb ass omelet. I love that conditioner he used. But don't forget. You can play whatever you want. Cause this is Strifle Pile. Playing 25 colors, this game gon' take a while. You can play whatever you want. Cause this is Strifle Pile. Playing 48 colors, this game gon' take a while. You can play whatever you want. Cause this is Strifle Pile. Playing 69 colors, this game gon' take a while. You can play whatever you want. Cause this is Strifle Pile. Play whatever you want. You can play with baleful tricks in the strife of bag of tricks, but don't you think you'd be remiss if you missed the fourth ponder in this 27 color deck playing Drown in the Lock? This is Magic the Gathering designed by Jackson Pollock. It's like a Ristic Studies, Vince leaved itself up for a game. A colorful array, the mana base remains unexplained. Ice Fang, Notion, Thief, Golos, the Tireless Pilgrim, Toxic, Deluge, Punished, Fire, Cephalid, Coliseum, Yorion, Opposition, Agent, Rise and Fall, Fatal, Push, Pyroblast, Lightning Bolt, Uro, Waterlock, Grub, Endurance, Minskin, Blue Fury, Passage, You Endures, Brace and Borrower, Badlands, Bayou, Kara, Put it Flowers, Pernicious, Team, Tiger, Otawara, Sovereign, The Merciless, Plague, Engineer, Terra, Sunder, Yo, I think this is working, Play a Wasteland, Loam it back, Loot it away with your deck, Put a whole breach on the stack, Attack on Meltdown Artifacts, can play whatever you want. Cause this is Strifle Pile. Playing 25 colors, this game gon' take a while. You can play whatever you want. Cause this is Strifle Pile. Playing 48 colors, this game gon' take a while. You can play whatever you want. Cause this is Strifle Pile. Playing 69 colors, this game gon' take a while. You can play whatever you want. Cause this is Strifle Pile. Play whatever you want. What it